right. Thank you, David. Okay. Let's do this. How many close friends would you say you had? Somebody throw a number out. David's going to walk around and catch us. So throw your hand up. He'll catch you. You can tell me. Right here, Miss Chris is going to start us off. Thank you. If it wasn't for my two sisters, I'd have a zero. <laughs> That's okay. Two. We'll start with two. All right. Good. Who else? Here we go, Miss Jen. Why? Oh, <laughs> I have one, and I am blessed to have that friend. Um, we share a lot, and when we need each other, we're there for each other no matter what. Gotcha. Awesome. All right. Thank you. All right. Who else? Close friends. This definition is very subjective, so feel free to expand or subtract depending on what your definition is. Go ahead. I believe I have four. All right. Sure. Thank you. Four. Who else? Oh, nobody's got, I heard Miss Dawn's got some friends. Anybody online, feel free to reply to this. This is not just in here. So I probably, for unrelated people, have about two really good friends. Mm -hmm. But if you count all of my family that I'm super close with and that I love, and they would drop everything. Right. If I needed something, then I have 20 or so more. Yeah, awesome. There you go. I like that definition. Would somebody just kind of take a minute to stop and do something for you? That's a pretty close friend, I think, in this day and age. Anybody else? What you got? Rick up here. He's going to help us out. Thank you, Rick. It used to be more, but I've got four. Four? All right. Very cool. Thank you. What else? Who else has got some friends? <laughs> Everybody else is friendless. Man, that's, that's shameful. Okay. All right. Awesome. Very cool. All right. So uh, <clears throat> we could have called that question the introvert-extrovert test. Um, <laughs> and what's interesting is we didn't have a lot of people respond. I was thinking the extroverts were going like, oh, yeah, I got like 50 friends, right? And nobody did that today. But that's all right. All right. Uh, as of today, I would say my answer is probably around 10, all right, roughly around that number, um, which is a pretty remarkable change from a few years ago, all right, just to clarify this. And I'll explain why that changed and, and why that question is even relevant uh, to today's discussion a little bit later this morning. But right now, I want us to jump into this latest part of our series here. I mentioned uh, that each week what we're doing is we're reading this letter uh, that is intended to have been read aloud. So Paul, who's writing this 2,000 years ago in this very ancient, different context, would have been putting this together uh, so that someone could have delivered it and someone would have read it aloud to a group of people sitting in a room like this. Not necessarily like this. It would have been a house. But they would have been sitting together listening in on this letter. And uh, they wouldn't have been able to read it most of the time. They just kind of listen because it would have moved on to another house uh, and another group of believers at some point after that, right? So we want to each week have, uh, have done this. We want to do this again. We want to recreate and honor that practice uh, by having different people read aloud. And then we're going to dig into it a little bit deeper. So before I forget, can somebody get Miss Robin that microphone again? I'm sorry. Last week, I just want to make sure people can hear it online. Um, that way we don't miss, they don't miss out on the experience too. All right, so Dawn's going to hook us up. Thank you, Dawn. Making sure that thing works. Yeah. All right, so Ephesians 3, what we're doing today is going to do Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 21. Seven short verses that we're going to unpack, but before we unpack them, Miss Robin is agreed to, to read them for us, so she's going to do that, so go ahead. Good morning, everybody. When I think of all this, I fall to my knees and pray to the Father, the creator of everything in heaven and on earth. I pray that from his glorious, unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, 
how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully, then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. Now all glory to God who is able, through his oops, mighty power at work within us, to accomplish infinitively uh, <laughs> more than we might ask or think. Glory to him in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. Great job. Perfect. Thank you so much for that, Robin. Appreciate all of you who have done that this month. Uh, we may keep that tradition going next month. I'm not sure, but for now, I certainly appreciate you jumping in on that. That's not easy to read, right? Uh, sometimes, and I certainly appreciate the, the, the opportunity for you guys to do that. So I want us to dive into this a little deeper today, right? And to really get into the nuts and bolts of this thing, to really explore what it means as we're discovering who we really are, what this last section does for us. Now, if you look at the letter to Ephesians, let me give you a little, a little literary uh, help here. It's broken up in into two sections, okay? So in our Bibles, you have chapters one through six. That's the whole letter. Uh, he wouldn't have written it in chapters, just so you know, it would have been written in one long form thing. But we break it up. And what you have is two different sections. Chapters one through three encapsulates the first half of the letter, essentially. And then chapters four through six is the back half. And they cover really um, the same topic, just from a few different perspectives, right? Uh, so what we have here in this seven verses is the conclusion of the first half of this letter. And just as Paul began with a song of praise and prayer in the beginning, as we talked about back in week one, uh, in chapter one, we now end with a prayer and a song. So verses 14 through 19 is this one sentence prayer in the Greek, all right? It looks very long in our, in our um, current English, but in the Greek it'd be one sentence that begins addressing God as Father, which he does eight times in this letter, which is interesting, right? Now, this isn't accidental. When, when Paul is addressing God as Father, what he's doing is pulling on the message and the teaching of Jesus, right? Jesus always, or most of the time, would refer to God as Father. So here's Paul pulling this thing back and, and helping to remind us of that practice and remind us of that theology of who God is and not just what God does, all right? Because he's done that a lot, this letter. He's told you who God, or rather what God does. Now he's saying this is who he is. And that's important because in finding who we are, we often go to our parents, right? We look up to those before us. We look at our moms and our dads and we say, all right, what am I, how am I like them or how am I not like them, right? And uh, most of the time our lives are spent either trying to be like our parents or not be like them at all, right? It's usually one of the two, not a lot of in between. We either, you know, accept or reject pieces of their lives to make up our own lives. And so what we have here, Paul is saying, uh, let, let me put this image here, he's saying, of God as Father, as this positive, just uh, this reminding us that no matter what our earthly fathers have done, or if they're good or bad, that God the Father is infinitely better, that he is infinitely more loving, and that he has our ultimate best interests at heart no matter what. Now, it's also a reminder that he, is father, uh, that he is Father, so who we are in him is his children. We are adopted into this family, right? That's the picture that Paul's painting. Now, what's interesting, I think, about that image is that Paul says that God's family encompasses a couple of different places, right? He says both heaven and earth. Matter of fact, Josh is going to throw up verses 14 and 15 up here for us. He says, for this reason... I bow my knees before the Father. I'm praying before God right now for, for you guys, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. Now, when you read that in our modern context, you're probably thinking, man, that's just a big family, right? That becomes everything. In heaven and on earth, that's just a lot of different people. But that's not what he's saying, really. 
what he's doing, he's pulling back on that recurring theme, this worldview-shaping idea that says the unseen realm and our seen reality are being, being brought together in Christ, right? That in heaven, there are angels and there's cherubim. There's a whole host of things that we don't even have categories for representing him in that, that realm, that reality. And then we have us here on earth who are in Christ representing God on earth. But that in him, what we're doing is it's all being brought together. So Paul is saying that we're all related in heaven and on earth. We've all been named. We've all been carrying this image of God. And because of Jesus, we're now not the black sheep of the family, the ones who have rejected and are on the outside, while the heavenly beings are thinking, oh, we're in. But now we've been accepted in giving positions of honor in this family. It's a remarkable picture that I don't really have time to, to get into today. I really, uh, that's some, some life-pondering thoughts, right? That you have angels that are your relatives, right? That's kind of weird. So I'll leave you to think that through on your own a future time uh, because I want to press in on this letter a little more and this prayer a little more. Because I think what happens again in our modern context is you're saying, all right, Paul's praying, right? Paul's praying. Now, prayer can mean a lot of different things to a lot of different people. We go into that on Thursday nights during our prayer meetings. But what I think uh, happens generally is when we hear prayers, our mind starts to drift a pretty specific direction. All right, you may be thinking, man, if you're going to pray, Paul, right, I hope you remember, you know, to tell God that I need to get out of debt this year, right? All right, if you're going to pray, Pray for good things for me, all right? Make sure you're going to use this time to write down this prayer. Pray some good things, right? Don't forget, man, I got this medical procedure coming up. I really could use help with that, Paul, so make sure you're telling God that, right? And wait, 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 wait. If it's not too much to ask, make sure if you can see if you can do something on my tax return this year, all right? Just squeeze that into this prayer, right? That's where our minds go. They start drifting that direction, right? And Paul continues this prayer, right? He says, man, all right, I praise God who, who has this family in heaven and earth, and, and I'm, I'm on my knees praying for you guys, and things seem to be going well because he continues with this. I, don't put it up on the screen yet, Josh. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put it here. Just listen. He says, I pray that, that according to the riches of his glory, right? That according to the riches of God's glory. And you're thinking, man, all right, great. That's what I'm talking about, Paul, right? My, my heavenly father's rich, right? Yes, right? My bank account could use some cash infusion right now. Come on, rich daddy. Let's put me some in the bank account, right? And he keeps going. He says I, that he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit. Strengthened with power through his spirit. And you're thinking, yeah, man, thank you, God. Man, I've been feeling weak, right? I could use some of that heavenly power today, right? That, to deal with all these kids in my life, to deal with these neighbors in my life, to deal with these coworkers, that mom I have been dealing with for a long time. There's 20 other people in my life that I have to deal with on a day-to-day -day basis. They're just wearing me down. I need power and I need strength right now. Thank you, Jesus, right? Right? So he keeps going. And then he says, I want you to have all these things. I want you to be blessed by riches. I want you to have power and strength in the spirit. And he says, I want it to be in your inner being. And you're like, oh, what? Wait a minute. Hold on. Wait. Where, yeah, that's right. Where, this, this is going to take a turn here, right? Inner being, right? You know, the, the note for my car is at the bank, not inside of me somewhere, right? My heart condition is, is, it needs some treatment, but, and it's in here, but it's not quite the same place, I think, that he's talking about when he's saying inner being, Right? And you'd be right, because if you've been with us these past few weeks, if you haven't found out by now, you surely will come to know it. Paul isn't concerned about the things we're concerned about. And while at first that's frustrating, right? You read that and you're like, all right, I, I, but I need these things fixed, right? And if you're a man of God, man, pray for these things in my life to change. And Paul's saying, no, I'm not praying for that. And that frustrates us, but it should also be illuminating to us. 
It should poke at us to understand that maybe he's not wrong. Maybe we're concerned about the wrong things. See, we pray for health. We pray for wealth. We focus on all those exterior needs. And I'm saying there's anything wrong with that. I pray for those things. But we focus hard on those things. But Paul's saying there is something much more pressing that needs our attention. There's something much more important that he wants to pray about for for this people and for us today than what we think we need. So I'm going to reread it here. Ephesians 3, 16 through 19. This is to finish out this prayer. He says that according to the riches of his glory, and I think you can throw that up here, Josh, that he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and, and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what's the, what's the breadth, what's the length, what's the height, what's the depth, to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. You see, Paul knew something that we often forget. He knew that if the, the inner self was as it should be, the outer self would take care of itself. So his prayer isn't that we should experience this outward abundance of God's blessing, that we should be healed of, of bodily ailments, that we should have this, this, this wealth that we need to be able to bless others maybe or bless ourselves, whatever the case is, but, not, but to focus so much on the fullness of God in us, to be filled with the fullness of God. Filled with the fullness of God. Now, I've got a little visual aid here to help me out. I'm not going to drink all this water today, guys, just to let you know. So just in case you were thinking I was going to guzzle a whole pitcher of water, that ain't happening. Uh, what I am going to do is use this to help me out this morning, to help us visualize what Paul's talking about. If you've been looking through and reading and listening through this series, we talked about last week that as we're trusting in Christ, that he raises us from the dead, right? He recreates us as new humans, right? But as we just found out, we're not recreated to, to sit empty. All right, we're not recreated as, as new. We're not washed clean by Jesus. We're not have all our, all our mistakes and all this is washed away and we don't have it all rinsed out. And it doesn't just, our lives aren't just to sit empty and just be like, oh, that's a very pretty jar, right? That's a, that's a very pretty new human, right? Recreated in Christ Jesus. Look at them. That's great for them, right? That's not what it's supposed to end at. That's the beginning. And what Paul says, now what's going to happen is you need to be filled up. You need to be filled up. So what I'm going to do this morning is you see this nice little jar that's been repurposed for this morning's activities, and I'm going to leave it right here. And then as we go through what Paul is going to pray for, what he wants us to be filled with, I'm going to take this nice picture of water. We're going to slowly fill this jar up, all right, just to help us see how this works, okay? So let's do this this morning. Let's look and see what, what exactly is Paul saying we need to be filled with. He starts with this one. He says, first, may God the Father grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. Now, if you listen to any more of the story of the Bible, you see all over the place, God's spirit being as active force here on earth, okay? From creation to Christ, where the spirit moves, God things happen. As new humans with new identities, a central part, not just a periphery part, not just, oh, what's a good thing we should add on and talk about, but a central part to who we are in Jesus is filled with the Spirit. It's His Spirit that enables us to live as new humans, as we should be, right? And it's, that should be such a central part, such a core part of who we are as these new humans, that that influence, that God's influence from within us overpowers the powers that are influencing our world. 
Now, if you don't know what powers I'm talking about, go listen to last week. But that's what the driving force here is in Paul's prayer and in our life. Now, Paul praying that we would be filled with the Spirit would be sufficient. Say, thanks, Paul. I appreciate it. I want God's Spirit. I want God to fill me up with his presence, right? But he thinks that he really takes things up a notch here. He says, I pray that you're filled with the Spirit according to the riches of his glory. According to the riches of his glory. So he prays that God will give his Spirit not out of his riches, all right? Watch the wording. It's not out of his riches, but according to. Now, what difference does that make, right? Now, I'll I'll explain it to you. If if I'm a billionaire and I give you $10, right? I give you $10. I've given you something out of my riches, all right? I got a billion, I give you 10. I'm giving it out of what I have. But if I give you a million dollars out of my billions of dollars I have, I've given to you according to my riches, right? The first is a portion. You get a little bit from what I have. The second is a proportion, a favorable portion given because of a generous and loving characteristic. You see, Paul is praying that the readers that day and us today wouldn't just be filled with a portion of God's Spirit, but to be overfilled, to be filled to the fullest with a favorable portion of God's Spirit. So as empty people, recreated, new humans, ready to live this new humanity out, nice and clean, refreshed, restart, new life, moving forward, right? He says you're going to be filled up. First, you had to be filled with his spirit. So I'm not going to fill all the way up because we've got a little more to go, but I'm going to start. We've got to start by being filled with the spirit. Let me get a little more. All right. So we're a little full, just a little full. We've got more to go. He says, you're going to be filled with the spirit because you need this to happen too. You need this filling. So Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Now, up to this point in this letter, Paul has used the phrase in Christ, right? You maybe heard me say this, in Christ or in him. We've said it lots of different times in this letter. And it's a very important concept because in him, we are made new, right? We are given this new name. We are blessed. We are beloved. We are forgiven. We are favored. We are raised, as we said last week, raised and seated in the heavens, part of this new creation that he's doing in Christ. But realization of that change isn't enough. We have to know that God isn't just remaking us, but he's working in us. And that should call us to not just shift our identity and thinking, okay, I know I'm part of this thing, but to legitimately be a part of it, to so identify with Jesus that we want him to make his home or make our hearts his home. That's two different things, by the way. You can know, you could say, yeah, I, I, I believe, I trust in Jesus, and I'm, I'm recreated, new, living a new life, and I'm starting this new thing, and I don't fully understand it, but I kind of start to dig into it a little bit. Uh, that's one part of the process. But it's another when you start to say, no, Christ lives in me. Christ lives in me. We said earlier that we're adopted into this new family with God as Father, right? And, and Christ is our brother by extension, that we, we can accept that shift, but the goal isn't to be a part of it, it's to feel as if you're family. That's two different things, right? If you had someone who adopted you, or maybe you had a stepfather, right? Or stepmother, or whatever the case is, you get brought into a family, right? You Sometimes, and I had this experience, that you don't feel as if you're a part of the family. You're in it, right? You get the blessings of the father. He, you know, he goes and he helps buy you clothes for the new year, or your mom goes and takes you out to lunch or whatever the case is, or she gets you school supplies or whatever. You're in the family, but you don't feel part of the family, right? You haven't taken the family on as your own, okay? 
This is what Paul's driving at. He says, in Christ, he has taken you on. He has brought you in, which is amazing because you don't deserve to be here, but yet he, he brings you in anyway. He makes you worthy. And yet now what he's saying is that in response to that, you need to accept Christ fully to say, yep, that's me. That's what I want. That's what I need more than anything in my life. It's not just a part of it. It's not just a name on a piece of paper somewhere. It's not just something I think about sometimes. It's who I am. It's who I am. That's my father, not just the, the, the person that gives me something sometimes. That's two different things. For Paul, we said this takes an apocalypse. It takes a revelation to us that we are awakened to this. That's why he says you need to be filled and strengthened with the Spirit so that you know that Christ is here to dwell in your hearts, to be filled with him and have his home in you. That's what he's looking for. So the first thing was the Spirit. The second thing is that Christ himself would now dwell in you, begin to fill you up. So we're getting there. Two-thirds full, roughly, maybe a little more. So let's get this last one in. He says, all right, spirit fills you up, strengthens you so that you know that Christ is dwelling in you, that you're taking on Christ all the way through your body so that here, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, the length, the height, the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Paul pulls two different words here. Two different sources uh, of understanding, but have the same shared meaning, all right? We're to be rooted in love. Rooted in love. Now, all of you have, well, most of you probably have trees in your yard. What happens uh, if you have cottonwood trees in your yard or, or nearby? What, what always happens in the winter or the spring, uh, usually around April, uh, if we get strong storms, what happens to cottonwood trees? Anybody know? The branches fall off. What else happens? If you're down by the river, more likely they're going to do what? They're going to just fall over immediately. It's like the first thing that happens. Just, to, just go ahead and assume if you ever see a cottonwood tree by the river, it's going to fall over at some point, right? It gets so big, but yet has such shallow roots and is so close to such a soft soil that it just goes and falls over. If you don't know, go by the river here and just walk. You'll see about, I don't know, how, you can just count how many there are that have fallen over, right? It happens because its roots are, are super shallow. So as soon as something rough happens, it just is done immediately. Now, what happens when you have a good, strong tree, right? Something that's been planted, that's rooted like a good, strong maple tree that's in good soil. Does that thing topple over when the winds get hard? That's a big tree. 60, I don't know, maybe 80 feet. I don't know how tall they get. Big, big trees, right? With lots of leaves. You think, man, surely it would, it's going to push over when, when these winds get really high because it has so much mass, right? That it's going to get pushed over. But it doesn't, does it? It just bends and keeps moving because those roots are rooted so deep in the soil. It's not going anywhere, right? It takes a lot to get that thing down. So what Paul's saying is he wants us, he wants our roots to be, to be strengthened, to go deep into the love of Jesus. He also says we are to be grounded in love. Now, this is an architectural term. He's talking like buildings, right? So, uh, you know, our, our lives have to have solid foundations on which they're built. What I, I've heard one building contractor, read it actually, uh, large buildings, not just houses, but big building contractors say this. He said, if you don't go deep, you can't go high. If you don't go deep, you can't go high. The foundations, the things we ground ourselves in matter. And if you're grounding it in things that are uh, you know, transistory or, 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 or uh, fragile, it's going to fall apart. When things get rough or, or you try to get better or you try to improve your life, it's not going to work because you're not grounded where you should be. 
So Paul's saying you need to have deep roots in the love of Christ. You need to be so grounded in that love that you're immovable, that nothing in your life's going to shake you, right? You're going to have storms, you're going to wiggle, you're going to blow, right? You're going to have some moments where it's going to be a little dicey, but you know that your roots and your foundations are strong in the love of Jesus, in the love of Jesus. You see, with, with God's Spirit filling us and Christ living in us, what happens is you begin to experience what real love is. Real love. Not, not cheap, flash-in-the-pan, you know, infatuation, not, not greedy, self-oriented, manipulating love, but the real thing. The real thing. He's saying plant your roots in it, build your life on it so deep that, that you, you can begin to really start to understand, begin to taste a little bit of what that love looks like. He says you should be able to comprehend it, but also that word comprehend there could also be said apprehend, uh, which can also mean like a, like a monkey grabbing onto a tree with his tail, right? Like, an appre- like a, a, a prehensile tail, right? So apprehending a, an idea is like a monkey with a tail grabbing onto it and hanging onto this is if you know it and understand it and trust that it's true, right? So he's saying not, it's not enough to experience it. You need to be able to apprehend, to grasp on to the love of God to the love that Jesus has for you. It's not enough to know about God's love because it's possible to understand something and not believe it. But you need to know it to really make it your own. Paul's begging. He is on his knees before the Father. All right? This wasn't a common Jewish post. Paul's Jewish. This wasn't a common Jewish practice to get on your knees. It was to stand. You pray to God when you're, when you're, you stand and pray to God when you're praying to him. It wasn't a posture that was familiar to him, but he knew to the people who was writing it to, they would bow before gods. They would bow before idols. They would bow in their temples before their God as, as a way of submission. So he's saying, I'm, I'm getting on my knees for you before the God, the heavenly father that unifies heaven and earth, the one who has his riches of abundance, wants to fill you with the spirit and fill you with Christ on the inside that we begin to lay hold, just begin to lay hold of the vast expanses of God's love, of all the dimensions of how much he loves us, how, how big and how deep and how wide and how long is the love of God. The same love that saves dead, enslaved, rebellious people. The same loves that makes them new, that chooses to live within them, within us. To experience it on such a level that nothing in us is untouched by it. Now then he says something that appears to be contradictory to us. He says, to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. He says, I want you to know what you can't know. Now, again, that seems contradictory, but it's actually revelatory. You see, my children will never know how much I love them. Never know how much I love them. Not, not the fullest extent. I, I couldn't even articulate it in a way that they could understand how much I love them. I couldn't show them in a practical way that would let them know exactly how much I, I love them. But they know that I love them. Okay? And that love draws them back to me in conversations in shared activities, and in constantly asking me for things, right? I still love. They know I love them, so they know that I'm going to listen. They know that I'm going to do things with them. They know that I'm going to respond when they ask. Sometimes it's going to be with a no, but sometimes it's going to be with a yes. So they keep coming back. The unknowability, even though they can't know how much I love them, the unknowability of my love for them isn't a barrier 
It's an invitation. It's an invitation. It's an invitation to this deep relationship. One that holds on through hurts. One that holds on through mistakes. One that, that holds up past scars. Now, my love for them will prayerfully empower them to love their families well beyond me. But what happens, my love is finite. There is a limit. Now, I might not be able to, to define it, but there is. There's a limit to my love somewhere. But God's love is infinite. He's infinite. Love that's so great that it's almost unsearchable. It is unsearchable. What Paul has, has laid out, this one fact about God more than any other, he keeps focusing, he drives back, he says the, the, the riches of God, look at the richness of God's grace and mercy, right? That his, his power, grace, and mercy, and love is just unending, it's ever-expanding, right? And while we can never find the end, we are able to know it. We are able to apprehend it through living day-to-day with him and letting that love fill us up to the top. So that's what the last thing is. He says, I want you to fill with the spirit, strength, power, so that you can comprehend that Christ wants to live in you, that you have to let him into your very center of your being so that you can begin to experience that love so that it fills you up to the top. To where it's almost overflowing. And if I spill it, it's on wood floor, so it's not going to matter, right? So here we are. So it's totally full. All the way up. We are to be a filled people. What I find so often in, in, in my life, with my kids, with this church, with just people, people in other places, Jesus followers, is that we, we want this, right? We want to live this filled life. We want to say, man, I'm just filled up with the love of God, right? So much, I'm just ready. I, I just can't wait to love on somebody else. But we're often not. We're often not. We may be like partially filled or maybe half filled on a good day, but most of the time we're so poured out, right? We have so much, spent so much time pouring out to our kids or our, our people in our lives that are just draining on us and it's just pulling on us so much that we never reach this top potential. <laughs> and it's unfortunate. Because, and that's so much so that Paul is saying, I'm praying this for you and this should be our prayer for ourselves. This should be our prayer for each other that, man, we need to, to be filled constantly filled, not just thinking about, man, that'd be nice if I could get to the top one day, but to be able to get to the experience where we say, man, I am so filled with the spirit of God, with the Christ in my heart, with the love of God that I'm topped out, right? That this is my capacity. This is all I got, but God still wants to give me more. That should be a heartfelt prayer for us. So before we start praying, man, Lord, help me today to not feel like my back's going to fall apart, right? Help me today to be able to get up and to be able to bless somebody with some money today because my bank account's taken care of. Uh, Let me check all these other exterior boxes. No, today, Lord, fill me up so much with your love, with your strength, with your spirit, with you in me, that that's all I got left. There is nothing left in me to have room for anything else. No negativity, no, 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 nothing, nothing else but you. Nothing but you. To be filled with the fullness of God. 
Now, I love that. He didn't say to be filled to the full with God or, 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 or to be filled with the fullness of God. It's that God is so full <laughs> to be filled with his fullness because he doesn't tap out. See, this picture has slowly began to decrease, right, as I've been pouring out. And we think that, man, God's got this, he's like us, right? He has a finite amount of love or resources of energy, of time, of all these things. That he is his creature. He is not us. He is pouring out, but he doesn't tap out right? He can pour us in and fill us up and fill us up and fill us up and fill us up. And there is no end to what he's got to give us. And so we think, man, I, God, I'm, I don't know. I, every day I've been asking you to fill me up and I keep thinking there's can't, the, I, you don't have anything left for me. You know, I don't want to ask again. It seems like I'm being, you know, I'm begging for you and, and it, I don't want to do that. I, I want to be able to take care of myself. And God said, no, you better pray that I fill you up because if I don't fill you up today, you're not going to be able to do what I have for you today. If you don't pray for me to fill you up today to the very tip top, when you go to work, you're going to suffer. When you go to your family, you're going to suffer. When you go uh, back home and you talk to your husband, you ain't have nothing left for them. But so you better start your day. You better, you better continue in your day. You better end your day saying, Lord, fill me with your love. Fill me with your spirit. Fill me with the strength of Christ. Live in my heart. Make your home in me so much so that when you keep pouring out, every time I pour out, you pour back in. And it's just this overflow that keeps just pouring and pouring and pouring. There's no end to that. That's what we should be praying for. Not the exterior things, but the things that really matter. Listen here. Now, when you hear it and when you begin to grasp it, you realize that's a crazy big prayer. Crazy big. That, that goes well beyond just feeling better for a day. It goes well beyond just getting out of debt. This is, this is life-changing. But what I love about this I love, I love this, I, I, man, sometimes when you read the Bible and you read it and you read it again, you read it again, you read it again, you're diving into it and, and other things click and you hear other people relate in different ways. It, it really helped me to this week as I was diving in, I thought, man, this is so good. It doesn't end here, all right? It doesn't end here. I've repeatedly said the story of our culture says that the, the most important thing is us, is the individual, right? That's the ultimate end, all right? live your best life, be who you want to be, right? Be the best person you can, whatever. You can put whatever label you want to on. We are the ultimate thing in our lives, right? This shatters all this. If you're just jumping on this series today and, and you listen, um, you, you may love when Paul's saying this. You should love when Paul's saying this. Because you're thinking, man, Lord, yes, fill me up, right? When the individual, whereas individuals were saying, man, I need more. Give me more. Pray for more for me. Fill me up so much that I'm overflowing. Give it, give it, give it. Fill me up, right? We take it all on for ourselves, right? And that seems like that's the best thing. What more could you ask for than it had to be overfilled with the Spirit of God? What more could you ask for than the love of God? What more could you ask for than, than Him to live inside of you, right? Me, yes. What more could there be? What more could there be? Now, I want to say this. On one level, this isn't wrong. I want you to pray. I will pray. I pray that we pray for each other. I pray you reread this verses, these verses again, and you're like, man, God, I'm on my knees begging for you to fill me up like this. God, that's what I want more than anything else in my life. When you get in that mode, that is the perfect place to be. But there's, there's more. <laughs> there's more than this. We need to be filled with this love and presence above anything else. So there's no more room for anything else. This changes lives. This changes your life and everybody else's around you. But 
Is that Paul's only goal with this prayer? Now, by me already leading you this direction, the answer is probably going to be no, right? <laughs> it's not the only goal, right? So let me reread this. Because you remember, if you don't remember anything else in this series, you may remember this. When you're rereading, when you're reading Ephesians, every time we in our English translation has the word you, what should we say instead? Use. Thank you, Waltz. <laughs> I was surprised nobody said that week one. Use, you guys. You know, I don't know. Y'all, right? We're going to say y'all anyway, all right? I've been saying y'all. I can't stop saying y'all. At any rate, so I want to reread this. Because you got, and I want you to listen to it again. And I want you to listen when I read this and see how it changes the whole thing. It changes the whole prayer. Listen. For this reason, and I might have it again, Josh. I don't know if I put it up there again. I may have, I've put, it, I may have put the y'alls in for us. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant y'all to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, right? So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that, that y'all, being rooted and grounded in love, may have the strength to comprehend with all the saints, he keeps doubling down on this, what is the breadth, length, and height, and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that y'all may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now you might think, what's that doesn't, that, what, what is, so you just changed the word you to y'all. What's that, what's that mean? Here's the thing. As individuals, we can be so filled with Christ, so filled with the love of Jesus, so filled with the Spirit, that that's all there is. We're tapped out. But that isn't enough. You say, how, how much more could there be? <laughs> how is this not enough? This is all I got. This is my capacity. You're right. This is it. This is, this is one little mason jar of you. All right? And while you can put a lot of stuff in this, this isn't going to feed a community. You can do a lot of things with this, but this isn't going to help all your kids all the time. You can put a lot of stuff in this, but this is not going to allow you to reach your coworkers for Jesus. Not on its own. You say, man, there's God in here. <laughs> that's, that's God in here. This isn't me. This isn't my, my effort, my works, my time. My, this is God in here. How can he not do it? Because he didn't design you that way. He didn't design you to do that. Not by yourself. This isn't enough. There are depths. There are dimensions of the love of God that are impossible, impossible to experience if I'm not regularly around other Jesus followers. Impossible. Not, oh, I'm going to get there. All right. It, it, it's only through living with and around others, only through living with and around others, that the world, that the reality, the heaven, that we're going to experience together anyway, begins to get bigger, begins to get more complex, begins to get enriched in our lives. The friends, the family, the marriages, the children, the fellow believers, those deep, deep, deep relationships, not the surface ones where you say, yeah, I saw them one Sunday, that was great. Deep relationships that force us outside of ourselves. That's when you begin to truly experience the fullness of God. Only 
Only when that happens can you experience the fullness of God. What our culture tells you is that, man, God, fill me up. Fill me up so that I can accomplish great things for you today. Fill me up so that I can do all the things you have called me to do today. Just make me the best me possible so I can accomplish all the things that you have set out. And in our natural, modern, Western mindsets, we say that is a great prayer. Pray it all day. Pray it twice on Sunday. That should be your ultimate goal. No, it is not. You are going to miss out on the fullness of God. You say, how can I miss out on the fullness of God? I'm full. (laughs) No, you're not. Not really. Not yet. The whole letter, Paul's been driving at this. The whole thing, over and over and over again. He'll beat you over the head with it. We're going to get beat over the head with it in chapters 4 through 6. We start to really see how do we legitimately live like new humans? How do we really love our husbands and wives better? How do we really love our children better? How do we really love that person we can't stand that's sitting right next to us this morning or next to us on the couch better than right now? Because you can't. How do we really do that? He's going to beat us over the head that through the grace of God, Jesus begins unifying heaven and earth. He begins to bring these disparate, these separated, these divided groups of people that would never have associated any other way that now are bonded. They're now formed into a people that cut across all socioeconomic lines, that cut across all political lines, that cut across any divider that we put up for ourselves. And he just blows it all away. And he says, now in Christ, you are being brought all together in commitment to Christ and to one another. And what happens is you begin to discover a whole new universe of what identity even means, of what living and experiencing the love of Jesus even means. When you do that, your knowledge, your experience of God's love for you reaches depths, reaches heights, reaches lengths, breadth. It it, it expands beyond imagination. Beyond imagination. Now, these are dimensions of God's love that will forever forever be locked away forever be locked away if i don't commit to his people and give myself away to them no matter how full i am i'll never experience the fullness of god the true love of god without committing to god's people because this is the heartbeat of god the full goal, the realization of his plan, unity, community, heaven and earth, giving ourselves over to one another fully. It's not a peace that enhances this. It doesn't make you a little more full. See, our, our, our world will tell you, the story tells you that, that maybe, you know, I'm not going to pour this out because I'll make a mess, but that, that if, you, if you're not around other people, yeah, you're not going to be fully satisfied. You should really connect with people, right? And you should get a husband or a wife and a spouse or whatever. You should find somebody who, who fills you up. By the way, if you're getting married for that reason, feel, you're going to be severely disappointed just to let you know, all right? If you're, if you're getting married to somebody to help make you complete, anyway, that's a whole other story. We'll get to that later, all right? But if you're connecting with anybody else thinking, I just need some socialization in my life this week because I've been cooped up with my kids, right? Or I, I need some socialization or I need to connect because I just need that part of my brain to, be, to talk to somebody who can talk to me like a real person or whatever the case is. That is not what this means. That's, that's not that. That's not that at all. This is not a peace that enhances your personal relationship with Jesus. What it is, <laughs> is it. it. It makes it all happen, right? This, this is how you relate to Jesus. You, you can't be, as if I say this all the time, I gotta, I'm going to get bogged down, I've got to wrap this up. It, you, you think, we think, I can accept Christ. 
I can live in him. He can live in my heart. And I can do this on my own where I'm at. And while you can argue back and forth about what that actually means, and, and one day maybe I'll see you in heaven one day, I pray the grace of God is big enough that that happens. But what I, what I won't believe, because it's not biblical, it's not what Paul's driving at in his letter, that that is what it's supposed to be. That's not it. That is not it at all. If you think, man, it's a personal relationship with a personal Savior, and I get to live my life better for the fullest because of it, and it's all good, that's what it's about, you missed it. You will never experience the fullness of God without participating with other believers, period. And I don't mean just coming on Sunday morning. <laughs> I don't mean it. I mean being so invested in my life that when you hurt, I hurt. When you sing, I sing. When you praise, I praise. Whenever, whenever you need something, I need something because I need, or I need to meet that need. And we go back and forth. That's the fullness of the love of God. Only that. Grasping the love of God requires a community of people that are like me. Now, Going back, I should, I should really do that. I don't think I put it in my notes. Oh, I did, okay. So going back to that question from earlier, I said that, that my amount of friends has risen dramatically uh, in the past few years, right? I said uh, my number is 10 now, which is pretty good, I think, for an introvert like myself. Uh, 10 is a pretty, that's a really high number, <laughs> really. Um, uh, before coming here, I had lots of friends, lots of friends, Close friends, uh, ones that I could call consistently on, probably had about three to four. So what changed? I was in churches before, so it's not church. It was a grasping of, of this mindset. It was an understanding that, that what living this new identity requires, what experiencing the power and the presence of love re- of God requires, not, not adds on, but requires, is wholesale commitment to him and, and, and have others who are walking that same road with me. That's what it requires. To be committed to loving others in such a way that I expect to be hurt. That's what we shy away from. We'll get to this. We'll get to this next week and the week after. That we expect to get hurt in those relationships. But to be so committed that even though the hurts will come, that I'm so committed to Christ and to you, that when they do come, I don't leave hurt, but I stay and heal together with you. That's the difference. To follow together a Christ whose love is so vast that even in rejection, that even when he was cursed, that even when he's being pierced and spit on, forgiveness flowed love load. So what he's calling us to, what Paul's saying is, is I want y'all to be filled, strengthened with the power of the Holy Spirit. I want y'all to have Jesus living in y'all, in the community, not just in your, in your, in you, in your inner being. Yes. But in the community, in your community's inner being that's so filled. Yeah, I'm going to make a mess. That's all right. That is so filled that you are now poured out into the community. And then what's going to happen is, is that you keep pouring out. What I say was going to happen when you keep pouring out. You pray to God, what's he going to do? He's going to keep filling you up. He's going to keep filling you up. And now that was you that you just poured in. Now the person sitting next to you, this is them. All right? And God's filling them up because they're praying the same prayer. Lord, fill me up. Fill me up. And then when I, when I meet and my person who's sick and tired and hurting, now what am I going to do? I'm going to pour out. And what do we do? Now, as a community, you see what we've done? Now, we're experiencing the depth, the breadth, the, the length, the width of, of, of the love of God here in this. Not, not just in this. This is good. 
not good enough. The love of God is much bigger than that. It's here with us, with y'all, use guys, whoever you want to say, whatever you want to put in there. When you live that way, surrounding yourself with others imperfectly trying to live in the same fashion, now you're experiencing the, the love. Now you're starting to apprehend the love of God in Jesus. Now you're getting it. We all experience it. Now Paul wraps this up, and I got a hush because I went away too long today. I said, man, I'm going to keep this brief. It's the last session. No, I'm not keeping it brief. All right. Paul wraps this up, this session. The kids are going to be making My wife's downstairs. She's going to get on to me. Uh, he wraps up this section with a doxology. Anybody know what doxology is? That's a big fancy word that means a song of praise, just so you know. I don't like using it because nobody knows what it means. It's a song of praise. He does this. It's verses 20 and 21. I'll quickly read it, then I'm going to wrap this thing up. He says, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we can ask or think, far more abundantly than all we can ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. All right. What, what's y'all's identity now? Here we go. This is my wrap up. This is my summation to this series. What is y'all's identity now? Y'all were cursed. Now you're blessed in Jesus. Y'all were blind to heaven. Now you are living in it. Y'all were enslaved and dead and are now set alive with power. You are now, or were rather, once together part of an old broken system that perpetuates anger and apathy and division that leaves everybody unfulfilled. But now in Christ Jesus, you are together, made stronger than ever, filled to overflowing with the love by your bonds to Jesus and to one another. A liberated army set free to set others free with God at the front of the whole thing, about to do all above all, abundantly above all, exceedingly abundantly above all that we could ever ask or imagine. Amen? Amen. Amen. That's who we are. That's who we are. Now for seekers, you're here this morning, you hear the story, you've heard the story for the past few weeks, prayerfully, if you've been with us, and you're like, okay, I've heard it, processed it, now I'm ready to internalize it, I'm ready to respond to it. We're going to give you that chance to do that in just a minute. Christ died for each and every one of us. We're all sinners needed by the grace and love of God that the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus is the only thing that brings us to the Father, the only way to restore us into this people who are now blessed, who are living free, who are setting others free through the power of God together. And so if you want to be a part of this, today's your day. If you're not quite ready, you're like, all right, I'm still dealing with understanding how this means, what this looks like. Well, keep sitting with us. We're going to talk about what it looks like in practicality, real life terms, forgiveness, love, hurts, healing, all the things, community, marriages, all is going to get broken down next month. So keep sticking with us as we go through this. But if you're ready, we're ready. We're ready too. For believers, I got one sentence. Wow, one sentence, pastor. I got four words. Remember who you are. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, God, Lord, I thank you that you are the Father over all. And God, that's not a scary thing. That's an awesome thing. Because we know that you are a God who has an infinite amount of love. God, love for us that surpasses understanding. 
love for us that goes beyond anything we could ever ask or imagine. God, my prayer right now is that anyone who would respond to you, respond to that call in Christ, your spirit pulling and drawing on them would do so right now. Lord, they would call out to you and say, Lord, just take me. God, forgive me for what I've done. God, I want to be part of this, this family. God, this thing that fills up and experiences a love that I haven't really fully experienced, that I've got a taste of, but now I want more than ever before. God, do that. I want it. Thank you for already working it in me and allowing me to be part of it. God, that is, as people have prayed that, Lord, that we are responding to that call, that we are leaning into you, God, that we come together to worship you, God. We remember who we are this week, that as we go out, Lord, we are people set free by you, God, to set others free by your power, Lord, and that we're living in such a way that we are committed to each other, that by the time that we get settled into this community and we live day in and day out, we can now say, oh, my close friend list, now they went from one to about 50, right? That there's so many people in my life that I can call and count on that I didn't know before we don't have any other thing in common right now other than jesus but that is all we need because that is all there is and god we just thank you that you have done that for us that in christ you have done all these things that we are now new people living a new life through your spirit filling us up in a way we can never have experienced before god we praise you for it we thank you for it and we pray for more more of it more of you more of others stepping in with us uh, this journey with us just more of you lord fill us up as your people today, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I want to thank you so much, church, for being with us all the way through the end of this series. If you made it this far, thank you, thank you, thank you. We're going to, again, keep going in a different direction. Uh, so, still saying, staying in Ephesians, but going in a slightly more practical way the next few weeks. Um, so to get, look forward to that if you haven't already. Can't wait to dive into that with you. Today, though, thank you for being with us online, making sure you uh, like and subscribe to our YouTube channel just so more people can see it, uh, especially if you're in our area. Like and share it. Make sure you invite someone into it next Sunday at 10 a.m. or Thursdays at 6.30 for prayer. Whatever time you can see us, we want to see you next time. Thank you. Thank you.